Well, if you would take your Bibles and go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6 is going to be our scripture reading and our sermon for this morning, Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to start in verse 16, and I'm going to read all the way down to verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 down through verse 24. This would be another place if you want to pause the video and ask someone else to read these eight or nine verses. Uh, you could certainly do that and then catch back up as we jump into the sermon. But Matthew chapter 6, verse 16, and here's what Jesus says. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Well, brothers and sisters, as we come to this passage today, I want us to focus and think about asking this question, what is it that you treasure? What do you value? What is important to you? Now, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, and particularly in chapter 6, but in other places as well, Jesus has been talking about this concept of rewards, and he's also now especially going to focus on this idea of treasure. And when you think of treasure, the first thing you might think of is a, a wooden box that's filled with gold coins and valuable pearls and these possessions that are treasure. And while while that might be a part of it, these, this actual earthly money treasure, when I'm asking you what do you treasure, I'm not just asking what is the most physically valuable thing you own on this earth. I'm, I'm asking what's, what's important to you? Where does your heart go? One of the verses I just read said that where Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What I'm really asking is what makes up your heart? What does your heart long for? What does your heart value? What do you find important? What is it that you treasure? Because Jesus is asking us to contemplate whether our treasures are things here on this earth or if we are storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. If, if there was some way that someone was able to document the last month of your life and they followed you around for 31 days and they saw the way that you spent your time they saw the way that you spent your money they saw the way that you expended your energy they noticed the things that made you happy they noticed the things that made you sad they noticed the things that made you fearful they noticed the things that caused you joy they noticed what made you angry if they were able to record all of that down and as for some of you now as we're coming into two weeks of this uh, stay-at-home type situation. Uh, let, let's pick a different month. Let's pick a, a more normal month in the way your life was prior to all of this. If someone was able to watch every single way that you spent your time, 
they would begin over time to be able to have a very accurate depiction of what it is truly that you treasure, of what's important to you. When, I, when I'm asking you what do you treasure, I'm not just asking you to say what you know the right answer is. I'm, I'm asking you to think in reality, not just what we say and know to be true, that God ought to be the most important treasure for his people, for his followers, for Christians. We know we ought to be able to say that God is our most important treasure and that we're storing up treasures in heaven. But in actuality, when we look at the way we spend our time, money, effort, energy, is it true? Does the way we live our lives back up the fact that we think God is our greatest treasure, that we think uh, using our time, effort, and energy for him is that which will give us the biggest payoff, the, the greatest reward in a long-term sense. So I want us to think about these things of, are we storing up treasures for ourselves just here on this earth, or is heavenly treasure that which is the most important to us? We're going to pick up this concept of treasure, especially in verse 19, but first I want to deal with verses 16 through 18. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may, be, may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Very very similarly to the way that Jesus has talked about giving alms or giving to those in need and giving, uh, spend, excuse me, practicing our righteousness in prayer. Fasting is now the third example where Jesus has made this point that our deeds of righteousness, we should not be doing them with the motivation of publicly being seen by others. That was the point. If you go all the way back to verse one of chapter six, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus says, if we're doing the good things that we know we're supposed to do as God's followers, whether it's giving alms or whether it's prayer or whether it's fasting, and our motivation for doing those is in order to be seen by others, if that's the reward we want, then that is the only reward we will get. And we will be seen by others, but our Father, who also sees, he will not reward that day in heaven because we've done it for the wrong motivation. And so Jesus' point is very, very consistent with what we've spent a couple of weeks looking at already, that, that the way we live as Christians, our public acts of righteousness, we should not do it with the motivation that we desire to be seen by others. So I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on fasting because we covered it a lot in the previous couple of weeks. Now, I don't want you to think by that or come to the conclusion that because we're skipping over this, this must not be important. In fact, as Pastor Kevin and I were talking about whether or not to, to, to expand this section on fasting, I think at some point we would as a church like to find a way to talk about what does the Bible expect of Christians when it comes to fasting. In fact, in fact, you'll notice that both with giving to the needy and with praying and with fasting, Jesus just assumes that this is something his people will do. He does not say if you fast, he says when you fast. And actually, as Pastor Kevin and I talked through it, we would like to spend a, a, an expanded time looking through it. So it could be that we, uh, in between series, spend a couple of weeks trying to look at what the New Testament expects of fasting. But I simply want you to note that, that uh, consistent with giving to the needy and with praying. It's the motivation that is key. Jesus is not saying, the, the most important thing he's saying is not that 
no one is ever allowed to know about our deeds of righteousness. He's not saying that if someone finds out you're fasting that that's wrong. He's saying if your motivation was for someone to find out. John Piper said it this way. I was listening to him teach on it, and he said, It's one thing to be seen while fasting. It's another thing to fast in order to be seen. And that ought to be the primary takeaway as we think through this, that Jesus' point, consistent with the other points that he made in giving to the needy and in praying, is that if the reason we're doing it is so that others will see, then there is no reward. Now, he's been in a section here, all the way back to verse 1, talking about rewards. And he's made it clear, his, his, his point is not that we shouldn't be seeking reward. His point is that we should be seeking the reward of the Father, not the rewards that come from men. So notice that it's in this context of, of looking for rewards, and Jesus' point is we should be seeking primarily or only or exclusively the rewards that comes from the Father that then Jesus says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now at this point, there are those who look at the passage and think that the sermon takes a big turn here from verse 19. And while while the previous 18 verses were talking about uh, theoretical rewards, or theoretical is not quite the right word there, but that the first 18 verses were talking about a reward that was immaterial, that could only be passed between man, that now he's actually talking about dollar bills and rewards and financial things, and this is now a physical reward in that sense, or a physical treasure. And certainly our money and finances are going to play a big part of this. We're even going to talk about it in the application here, but I also think that everything Jesus has been saying in the first 18 verses uh, also plays into this. And so part of what Jesus is saying is, is that the praise of man is not permanent. Instead, we ought to be people that are storing up treasures on, on, in heaven because everything that comes on earth, all of the rewards that come in this life, they have a way of being lost. They won't last. Decay will come into play. And he illustrates that point three different ways. Um, verses 19 through 21, there's this idea of treasure. And, and and Jesus is asking us to consider where do we store up our treasure? Do we store it up here on earth or are we storing up heavenly treasure? Then in verses 22 and 23, there's this illustration that has to do with the eye and the lamp and the body and light. And that one's, a, we're going to have to work harder to understand that. But then in verse 24, there's a third illustration, this idea of uh, Jesus is saying that we cannot serve two masters. So what is Jesus saying with these three illustrations? And let me just kind of explain at the beginning where we're going to go. All, all three of these illustrations, Jesus is, is reinforcing the same point. And even though the one with the eye and the lamp and the body is a little bit more confusing, when we begin to unravel that one, it, it helps you see how all three illustrations are tied together. Both the treasures and the eye and the masters, all all three of these kind of link together where Jesus is encouraging us to lay up treasures in heaven that will last for all of eternity. So let's begin to walk through them. The first one I already began to explain that, that Jesus does not want us as his people, as his followers, to live for this life here and now and store up treasures 
here on this earth. We shouldn't be living primarily for the praise of man because that will not last. Neither should we be living primarily for earthly possessions. That will not last. Jesus' point there is that, that there's moths that can, that some of the most valuable possessions they would have had in that day would have been some of their clothings or their tunics and certainly could have been eaten away by moths or thieves could break in and steal or rust the decay process would break down their possessions and jesus point is look on this earth if you live for only the things that you can acquire on this earth it's going to not last it won't be permanent it won't be valuable and jesus point is instead you should be laying up treasures in heaven the thieves can't get to that the moths will not be able to eat away those treasures. The rust and decay will not take place in heaven. So that's where our treasure should be. And then Jesus makes this very interesting statement. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, when you hear the word heart in scripture, you need to think of it as that, that center of our being, the mind, emotions, will, our inner person that, that drives our behavior, our attitudes, our actions. It causes us to do what we do. If you think back to that opening illustration where someone was documenting a month of your life, that they would be documenting the outflow of your heart. Your heart is putting itself on display in the way that you spend your time, energy, resources, in the words that you say, in what makes you happy, in what makes you sad. Your heart, is, your heart is where we live out of. We live out of our hearts. And Jesus is saying that, that our hearts and our treasure, the things that we value, these line up. They come together. Now, one of the things that's very interesting when we think about... Um, this particular season that we find ourselves in. Um, with the coronavirus and things that are taking place in the last couple of weeks, we, life has changed so quickly and so drastically in the last couple weeks. Uh, hopefully it's only a temporary change, and yet we notice it's very easiest for us. There's a sense in which Back up a couple of months ago in January when life was normal, we can get lulled into this sense of thinking that, that the normal things we experience here now, this is just simply the way life is. And we can forget the fact that thieves can break in and steal and that moths can take away uh, our possessions and that there's this decay process that happens. But in a very short matter of time, uh, we, we recognize how fragile life is, how fragile possessions are. We realize that there is a health threat. We realize that we're watching 401k figures fall as the stock market plummets. And we're realizing, you know what? All of this life, it, it, it's, it's temporary. It's fragile. It won't last. And whether or not life gets back to normal a few weeks or months from now, don't be lulled into the fact of realizing it's, it's not going to last. Even if life turns back to normal, there will come a day when we lose everything. There will come a day when, when that, if, if we have stored up for ourselves treasures on this earth, there will come a day when we cannot take them with us. There's a man named Matt McCullough, and he's written a book called Remember Death. His concept behind the book was that, that 
we as God's children would benefit from thinking about that concept that, that so many of us like to push out of our minds. We, we don't want to think about the fact that the end is coming. I realize that I'm speaking to you in a context, an environment where we have more little ones listening to me speak than on an average Sunday. And so I'm going to try to use words that veil just a little bit of the intent I'm trying, the point I'm trying to drive home. So parents, adults, tune in a little bit extra because I'm going to try to hide just a bit of, of the normal language that would make it obvious what I'm trying to say, but realize the threat that we're facing the last couple weeks from the coronavirus. Um, I hope that we're wondering how bad is it going to get? How many casualties will there be? And, I, and my desire, obviously I hope with you that this isn't bad, but let's remind ourselves that if this isn't the end, there will come a day when something is for each and every one of us. And, and if thinking not just about physical health, but even in the economic impact, regardless of what happens to finances now, we can't take it with us on that day when the end does come. Here's what Matt McCullough has to say. He says, in Matthew 6, Jesus warns against piling up treasure that moth and rust can destroy or that thieves could break in and steal. In time, decay destroys everything, and death is the greatest thief of all. So, Jesus argues, you must place your treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's using the prospect of decay and loss, what will be lost to death, to drive us to love what can never be lost. So brothers and sisters, my encouragement, Jesus' encouragement for us here is to not store up treasures here on this earth that are just going to be lost. Store up treasures in heaven. Through a love for God and Jesus Christ and his purposes, we are storing up treasures that will never be lost, that can never be threatened, that can never be impacted uh, in a negative way because these are things of eternal value and that's truly what ought to drive us as a people. Well, then, after speaking about storing up treasures in heaven, Jesus gives this illustration of the eye and the lamp and the body. Look at verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, at first glance, you read that, those verses, and it's, what does that have to do with storing up treasure? What does that have to do with serving two masters in the verses that follow? Part of the difficulty in understanding what Jesus is saying here is he was, he was using plays on words. He was speaking into cultural metaphor. He was using metaphors that they would have understood in their culture that some of that is lost on us. It becomes a little bit more difficult to unravel. But knowing that, that the point Jesus was making in verse 19 is the same that the point of the same point Jesus was making in verse 24 helps us understand that Jesus is, is he's on the same point here. He's just beginning to, to, to explain the illustration from a little bit different perspective. And so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying that the eye, the, the eye in some ways is a control center for the body through which light would enter, through which we could see. Very similar to the heart, the eye has a great influence in that way. Part of the difficulty in understanding this is there's even, there's even debate into what was the ancient 
understanding of the way the eye worked. Was light coming out of the eye or was light coming into the eye that you and I understand it today? But we don't need to get too caught up into that. Keep in mind the way a lamp would have worked in that culture. If you walked into a room of darkness and you wanted to see, you didn't flip on the light switch. You didn't pull out your flashlight and turn it on. You didn't turn the flashlight on on your phone. You would light a lamp and the lamp would give light to the entire room and there would no longer be darkness because you could see. And what Jesus is saying is that it's it's the eye that enables us to see the light and the whole body is able to function through what the eye can see. If the eye can't see, the body can't function. And his point is when your eye is healthy, then your body will be able to work in the way that it should. But if, if the eye can't see, if there's darkness in that way, if, if the light is the, if the eye is the only source for which light is supposed to come and instead there's darkness, well then that's going to be a very great darkness indeed. Part of understanding what Jesus is saying here deals with how we translate the word healthy in verse 22. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. There's a word here that Jesus uses that, that could be translated in a variety of ways, and it could be that there's a play on words that Jesus is giving more than one meaning. He's wanting people to think of the range of meanings of this word, so they realize there's a, there's, there's a double meaning that Jesus is giving. You could translate the word healthy. Some of your Bibles might say good. Uh, you could translate it whole, sound, healthy, clear, good. Two that are very interesting are generous and single. So when you think of the, the, the single clear vision, when an eye works in its whole complete way where it has a single clear vision, especially one that is a generous vision, then, then you understand th this is someone who, whose heart is controlled not by the desire to just hoard for themselves, but to be generous. They, they, they have this clear singular focus of honoring God with their money and their possessions. In understanding the way that the Jewish context, in a Hebrew context, the way they would have understood a good eye or a healthy eye, there's a helpful verse in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 9 says this. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 9, whoever has a bountiful eye, or you could translate that good, whoever has a good eye, a bountiful eye, will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. They would have understood someone having a good eye and one of the ways they would have thought about it, there's somebody who's generous. They have a good eye. They get it. They realize that their possessions aren't just for themselves. When coming back to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus gives this same eye, lamp, body, light, darkness teaching point in Luke chapter 11. And in context, he immediately follows up with a, with a story that illustrates the rebuke of the Pharisees and their greediness. And Jesus' point was that he wanted, them, he wanted his followers not to be greedy in that sense. Jesus' followers shouldn't be people who are greedy, only storing up treasures for this life. They should be people who are so heavenly focused and kingdom focused that they, they understand uh, using their possessions for storing up heavenly treasures. They get that. There's light in that sense because of their singular, clear, healthy, generous vision. And that's part of what God wants us to understand as his followers. But then he also says, he, he then begins to talk about the two masters illustration. And he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
some of your translations, especially if you're reading out of the Old King James, says you, you cannot serve God and mammon. We'll talk about that word in just a minute, but suffice it to say now that Jesus' point is that, that earthly possessions, money, mammon, wealth, we cannot serve both earth and heaven in that sense. We cannot store up for ourselves treasures here on earth and in heaven in the sense that we are devoted to both in the same way that you could not serve two masters. Now don't think of the employee relationship here. It's possible for someone to have two jobs, but this would have been the slave master, the servant master relationship. And here Jesus is saying it would be unthinkable. It wouldn't work for a servant to have two masters. They are owned by only one and in the same way, it does not work for the followers of God to be devoted to servants of both God and money, is how the translation that I read from translates the word mammon. So what is the word mammon? Mammon was an Aramaic word. So remember, Matthew was writing this for us in Greek, but Jesus likely would have been, Jesus used a word here, the Aramaic word mammon, which means literally possessions, or property. And for whatever reason, Matthew brought that word over and transliterated it. He just brought in the Aramaic word. He didn't try to translate it. It would have conjured up certain images in their mind. Perhaps they would have even thought of mammon as this financial deity or personification in a sense. And they're saying, look, God on one side, mammon on the other. But it's important to realize Jesus is not, don't just simply think of this as money, though money would be included in it. One commentator said, today we might legitimately say things like money or gain or success. Things are all bound up in this idea of mammon. This, the, word does not, the word does not mean wealth or affluence. It means worldly possessions, however few. So with that understanding in mind, realize it's not just the wealthy that have the particular danger of, uh, of having to choose between God and wealth. No, even poor people, even the poorest of the poor, have this temptation of, of being devoted to the physical things of this earth, to the possessions, to the things. And Jesus' point is it doesn't work that way. We cannot serve both. Are we going to store up treasures in heaven or are we going to store up treasures on this earth? Because we can't do both. Now, it would be wrong to walk away from this and think that if you have wealth or if you have possessions, that that's the particular problem. That's not what Jesus is saying. Martin Luther rightly commentated on this many centuries ago. He said the emphasis is here. The emphasis here is on the little word serve. It is no sin to have money and property, wife and children, house and home, but you must not let it be your master. You must make it serve you and you must be its master. What a great reminder for us that, that God, in whatever gifts he has given you, in whatever possessions are yours, realizing that these things belong to God and we do not serve them. We do not live our lives to acquire greater and greater treasures here on earth, but rather we realize that these are things that God has given us to bring honor and glory to his name, and therefore we can use them to store, we can use our possessions, we can make them serve us and the greater good of storing up 
heavenly treasures. What a great joy that is. So let's think about these verses. Let's make a little bit of application to our lives. As we walk through the text here, let's think just a little bit about this. Where are you storing up treasures? What is valuable to you? What is important to you? Going all the way back to verse 1 and thinking about the last several weeks of of verses 1 through verse 24. What about your earthly possessions? Though though we don't want to limit it just to finances and earthly possessions, certainly that plays a huge part in this. Uh, How is it that you think about your earthly possessions, the means that God has given you? And I don't want you to dismiss this too quickly. I want to speak to all of us here. And in some ways, this may step on some toes, but I think that's okay because if, if we understood the way that Jesus talked about money throughout the Gospels, Jesus didn't step on toes. He dropped bowling balls on bare feet. He used a sledgehammer to hammer home. Money was one of the, the most frequent things that Jesus talked about throughout the Gospels. And we, we get uncomfortable talking about it. We're curious what motives there are behind uh, church leaders that would talk about money. And so I, I, I just have to acknowledge the fact that Jesus talked about money frequently and the way that we should use it. And uh, as as followers of Jesus the way that he expected us to give it away generously. And so let's think about what Jesus had for us to think. And don't dismiss it too quickly. It's, it's easy for us to think. Most of us would put ourselves in the category of, I'm not a greedy person. Money doesn't have great power for me. I listened to Tim Keller teaching on this concept of money, and he correctly noted some things just about the way that that humans in general, especially in our society, why it's so easy for us to discount the fact that perhaps we struggle with greed or perhaps possessions have more pull over us than we think. He correctly noted that, that whatever circle of friends you have, whatever other relationships you're aware of, you know how much money is in your bank account, it's very easy for us to quickly think of people that have more than we do. We see it because of their things. We don't know how much money is in their bank account, but we know we couldn't afford the things that they have. But guess what? Even those people might be in different circles than we are, and perhaps because of their possessions. And it's very easy for them to think of the ones who are making even more money and have even bigger toys and have even greater possessions. And so even the people that we think of that this passage might apply to, they're thinking of other people in their minds and say, well, surely this passage must apply to them. So the, the, the issue here is not whether you have a, a, a great amount of material wealth or a little amount amount of material wealth. The issue here is in the physical things that God has given you, are you using them to store up treasures for yourself here on earth? Do you look at your money as a way of gaining significance or security? Are you looking to it for control? Are, Are you looking to it in the sense that your money is able to provide you security or control, thinking that somehow you are safe because of your money. If anything, the last couple of weeks has taught us is that money cannot give us that security that we long for. That's an earthly treasure that at some point, whether it happens in the next few weeks or whether it happens at the end of our lives, it will be gone and it cannot provide the security that we crave. 
If, if you're tempted to use your money so that others notice your things and your stuff and they put you in a certain category, a certain sphere, and you gain a certain level of popularity in that sense, well, that's the wrong way to think about your possessions as well. Uh, we, we need to see that all of the money that we have belongs to God, all of the possessions that we have, and it's really something that he has given to us so that we can use it to bring him honor and glory and so that we can store up treasures in heaven with these earthly possessions that he's given to us here. Our, our possessions, mammon, the, these are things that are not ends in and of themselves. They are means to an end. The end is God himself and his glory. And the things he has given to us merely ought to be something that we are able uh, to use to get more of him or to help others get more of him. I th I'm afraid that off, too often the church is, is thinking about money the wrong way and asking the wrong question. We're, we're coming at it from, from the wrong angle in the sense we need to... St this is something that I want to think about more in the years to come, even in my own personal life. I want to challenge myself with this concept because I don't know that it's the way that, it's not the natural way I'm wired to think, but I think we've got to start changing the way we think about our possessions as God's people. The issue is not how much do I have to give away. We tend to think, what's, what do I need to give away? Is there an amount? Is there a percentage? Is there, what is it? What does God expect of us as his followers? And then the rest is mine, and I get to do whatever I want with it. Well, well no, if, if we understood that, that it's not once we give away a certain enough, the rest is ours to do whatever we want with. No, the entirety, all 100% of what you possess is God's. And now the question becomes not how much are we going to treasure for ourselves, but if God is our greatest treasure, what portion of the 100% that God has given me does God want me to use to support my family and my needs? And then what does God want me to do with everything that's left? And I think that would be a helpful way for us as his followers to think about. We want to store up treasures in heaven, not here on earth, because moth and rust and thieves, the whole decay process, this will not last, and we want to be living for things that will last. So are you too tied to earthly possessions first, but then secondly, even thinking back to verse 1, are, are you too tied to earthly praise? Are you living your life here on this earth, built, storing up treasures of man's approval and man's praise? That's part of the problem Jesus was trying to address, going all the way back to verse 1 and saying, don't practice your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, because if you do, that's the reward you're going to get. If you're living your life for the praise of others, that will be lost. You may, you may have a good reputation right now, and you may, others may think well of you, but that's not something that will last and stand the test of eternity. Eventually, death will steal even that as well. We shouldn't be people who are living for man's approval, but we should realize that God is someone who uh, is, is, he's the one we need to be pleasing. He's the one that will reward. And so we need to be careful of practicing our righteousness before others. That was Jesus' point with the fasting, that, that, that people were not supposed to be doing that in such a way that they were just seeking the reward of others. 
One of the things that uh, the particular age that we live in, social media has made this uh, a unique challenge. That be careful if you are trying to put out your spiritual acts of righteousness, your good deeds, uh, in order to be praised and seen by others. The temptation is so subtle. Again, I'm not saying it's wrong for people to see spiritual things online. It's wrong if your motivation for putting them online was in order to be seen. And so that, that, that subtly ties in so, so carefully gets to the heart and weaves in that we need to honestly ask God, what's, what's our motivation for helping others? Is it, as Jesus said earlier in the sermon, that others would see our good works and glorify the Father in heaven? Or is it so that others might like and comment and assume that we ourselves are spiritual. There's a very subtle trap there between living for those earthly praises on the one hand, and then as we've already looked at, living for earthly possessions. Where are you storing up your treasure? I think one of the things that's interesting in the particular, in the two weeks that we have been living through in these uh, times of the virus where we're all at home, as, as we begin to see life change, it begins to cause a rise of, of, of fears and anxieties when we think that the life that we used to know and love was, is, is slipping away, or at least it's changing. It can be very, very unsettling. And I want you to be reminded that remember the context of what this falls into, where Jesus is talking about these rewards. He's talking about not living for the praise of man. He's talking about not storing up treasures in heaven. He says you cannot serve both God and possessions or things. And then look at verse 25 that we'll jump into in a few weeks once we get past Easter. He says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, about what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life a about more than food and the body, about more than clothing. I think it's very, very significant uh, that at a time like this, um, you, you see what's happening in culture around us and you see fears increase, you see anxieties increase. And I would encourage you, uh, realize that, that one, of, one of God's graces in a moment like this, in a season like this, is allow us to go back and take inventory, to evaluate, to contemplate. What is it in my life that is so important? What is it that I treasure? What is it that I value that it, now, because I might lose it, it's causing me to be fearful? One of the ways that you'll know money and possessions and things doesn't have a hold on you is that it doesn't cause fear if you think you're going to lose it. And, and, and so when we go through seasons like this, it's helpful for us to tune in. Don't just push those feelings aside uh, and wait for life to get back to normal. Realize that, that your heart might be being um, exposed in ways that though it's painful, it's very helpful for you to realize and understand, what am I treasuring? What am I valuing? Alistair Groves and Winston Smith had this to say when it comes to fear and anxiety. They said, fear has a simple message. Something you value is under threat. Something bad might happen to something you care about. The future holds potential for loss. Because of this and because fear is so common to us, your fears are probably the single best map of what you actually value. Fears points directly to what we treasure. We learn a great deal about our true values and deepest commitments when we look at the constellation 
of our fears. Where fear flourishes, there your heart will be also. Brothers and sisters, I started by asking you to think about what is it that you treasure? What is it that you value? If you pay attention to the last two weeks and the things that have caused you fears and anxieties in this uncomfortable season we're in, you, you've got the beginnings of a roadmap to what it is that you treasure and what it is that you value. Um, th those fears and anxieties through these last couple of weeks are helping to point those things out. And my plea, Jesus' plea, is that we would, the Jesus people, are the kind of people who, because of the gospel, because of what God has done for us through the person of his son, Jesus Christ, that, that our greatest need on earth uh, is, is not finances or health or physical well-being. Our, our greatest need is our sin between us and God, and that has been paid for on the cross, that God, because of his great love, was willing to send his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to pay for our sins, that his death would be a substitute in the place of ours, and that Jesus, though he was the very son of God, was willing to give up all that he had. He didn't cling tightly to that which was rightly his treasure. He valued it and saw an eternal treasure in being able to redeem his chosen children through his work on the cross. That should bring comfort. That should bring hope and encouragement. Church, be encouraged with who God is. Don't go through this life seeking how to make the most of this life building up treasures here on this earth. Know who God is. Know what God has done for us and use that as a, as a motivation, a refocus, a desire to store up heavenly treasures that will last for all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we're grateful for who you are as God. We're grateful for the way this, that you have worked in our lives through the person of your Son. Lord, may we be people who store up treasures in heaven. May we be the kind of people who do not live for this life, this earth, things that will fade away, but may we live for eternal reward. May we live for the kinds of rewards that only come through the person of Jesus Christ and because of who God is. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.